Hey guys, William here from New Blood Rising Podcast. Just before you, um, before we jump into this episode here, uh, Preacher Talk, which is our debut episode. You're going to hear me say that in a minute anyway. What I want to tell you is, when you listen to this, I did not do the best job setting up audio on this one. Afterwards, I figured out what my mistakes were, and I've already got them in process to correct. So when you listen to this early on with me and Marcus, who I introduced in the show... Be prepared. In the beginning, he may sound a little soft, and maybe I sound a little bit loud. There's there's definitely an issue with balance that I had to deal with on this. So I just want to let you guys know that I definitely know that um, the audio can be much better, and it will be next time. I know exactly where I screwed up on this. It gets better as the show gets, goes on, but um, I just want to give you guys a heads up on that at the head of the show. So if you have to bump up the audio for Marcus a little bit, I completely understand. I apologize for it. Um, like I said, it's going to be better next time, but until then, I hope you enjoy the show. I hope you enjoy talking about or hearing us talk about Preacher, and I hope you're able to interact with us about it. You know, please reach out and let us know what your thoughts on it. Coming up um, very, very soon after um, after we've got this episode coming out this week, we're getting right back to our bread and butter, Survivor Series 2001. The end is near. The end of the invasion storyline is coming next Monday. Be ready. There it is. But again, just wanted to give you guys the heads up about the volume. Anyhow, enjoy the show. You can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Go tell that long tongue liar. All right, guys, Go thanks a lot for the download on this episode rider. of the New Blood Rising tell Podcast. We have a special a, a debut of this episode. We are launching into another type down. of show on gonna, what is kind of the, the birth of our network. It's Virgin, as we talk about, we, you've seen us talk about wrestling pay-per-views we're talking about movies for guys like movies and now with what amc launched on this past sunday with preacher now we're going to be having week to week preacher talk we're going to be going through each of these episodes and just having a time at it of course i'm william rinkin you've heard me plenty of times before um i am not alone today um we have a we have a new guest but an old friend uh, and that's Marcus Moore, who's joining us from Columbia, South Carolina. How are you, sir? Not too bad. Hi, guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, Marcus and I met in um, in Columbia at USC. Me, Marcus, and Charlie were kind of like the older guard, <laughs> it felt like. <laughs> we I felt like we were the ones that like remembered like late 80s early 90s type of things and were able to appreciate them where you know unfortunately you know these were people five six years younger than us you know so considerably <laughs> like i would say on average it was maybe four of us that would get a big trouble a little trying to wrestle there yeah you got that right man and it just those those some of the best times it really was and that's why like you know when uh, preacher for me is something that's uh, it's been very special and I don't when it comes for for me in comics like you know I've dabbled in comics here and there obviously like many people Brian Singer's X-Men in 2000 was like oh wow it was a it was sort of a re-entry back into comics kind of went beyond just X-Men though like I it's kind of how I stumbled upon preacher was right as it was ending I started looking at um 
the back issues and then the trades when they came out and I was like what in the hell is this it is the it became my favorite comic ever Marcus you told me you read it too somewhat back in the day as well right Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I that's I completely I think that is the appeal. What's fascinating is when you look through the years at the uh, because one thing we're going to talk about right offhand is the production history of this thing reads like uh, like some kind of crazy tabloid journalism because it just has so many twists and turns and everything. But the one thing that's Okay, so, all right, would would Kevin Smith be able to launch like a, a second career in doing uh, evenings with because of it? Probably not, but it's still it's it's fascinating. Just at least the fact that it's an awesome story, but it's one that's so complicated to tell to somebody that that is probably the reason why it has been so hard to get people behind it to fund it to go ahead and then you know launch it and everything you know i th- i think that yeah definitely like i can only imagine the attempt to pitch this to a producer yeah. in the 90s oh absolutely i mean if you go back and you um if you look at like a log line for walking dead or breaking bad pretty easy to nail you know what i mean like it's pretty easy to knock to nail those down like uh, walking dead you have zombies you have survivors survivors need to stay away from zombies right yeah and i mean that's that's easy at least on its and it's bare 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 bones to explain to somebody and get people behind it breaking bad very similar as well i am a terminal teacher Uh, i have terminal cancer Uh, i want to make sure my family is set after I die, and the best alternative for him is this, I mean, unbelievable foray into, you know, cooking meth and selling it. Like, that's, that is at the core, that's where you start with Breaking Bad. Preacher, you know, every time somebody asks me, like, I take this deep breath, and I think, where the hell do you start? Like, it's just a big block of it's it reminds me of almost classical literature in a weird way because it's a strange picaresque tale, you know. Oh yeah, like, the uh, the in the, the volume one that I had was written by Joe Lansdale, and the thing about that is like he immediately says that this particular story is so definitive Texas, like Texas, that like you almost can't penetrate it as well without having some kind of knowledge of life in the South. Yeah. Oh man, that is so much about it. It's, it's, it's this really interesting genre mashup of, you know, at its core, it's very much a Western, but then like it's, it's a horror movie. It's vampires, like which, yeah. I, and it's crazy, it's funny, it's like it's 90s vampires, like it's before the, the, the rebirth of them in the, in the 2000s with Twilight and everything where that, it really became its own rage and everything. And, it's it's yeah, just. Like I don't want to spoil anything, but there's there's nothing magic about this man. Not really. No, no, and that and that's one of my favorite books. And preacher is when he kind of confronts like 
and, and it's funny because back then, like you see Cassidy mingling with people that took after Lestat and the Anne Rice type of vampire. Now, yeah. very easily, you could see people that take after the Stephanie Meyer Twilight type of vampire, and it'll be interesting. But we're gonna dive into that. I mean, um, like we were talking about, this production history is incredible. Preacher was written by Garth Ennis. It started in 1995. It ran through 2000. Now, what's fascinating is it was, and this isn't actually unlike a lot of other properties, like very early on, it was optioned, like film rights, yes, we need to make this into a movie. And that, um, and like, like I think World War Z, that was, more recently, that was one like before it even got released, before the book even got released, it was like film rights already secured. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, um, with this one, it was it was similar, but early like and I and where this starts is unclear. But the name that was always attached early on was Rachel Talalay from Tank Girl. She was attached to direct. Yeah, yeah, and and when you think about it, kind of makes sense based on how Tank Girl is a zany type of action movie in its own right. Kind of fits. Yeah, with dark comedy in it, in much the same way that this particular property is too. So yeah, it would be right down the alley. Absolutely. Totally agree. So then, like, when you look at where 1998 comes around, it's um, – because I think the original company was Electric Entertainment. was with a name. Fairly pedestrian company, it sounds like. But um, by 98, though, and this becomes the reoccurring problem, is the budget was forecast around $25 which that's not the easiest thing to secure when you tell people this is a movie that's about a guy looking for God who has a power greater than God in his body. So, you know, there's, it became difficult. 1998, uh, 1998, you have Kevin Smith, Kevin Moser, or um, Scott Moser uh, with View Askew, who were, you know, very much on board with helping out. They try to take Preacher to Miramax on behalf of Electric, and the wine scenes just you know, did not see it. They could not see um, and wow, because if there was any production company in the 90s that would have jumped on that, you'd, you'd immediately assume it was Miramax. Well, and it, it's weird because Miramax, by like the late 90s, like all of a sudden, like you're seeing the Miramax label on movies like She's All That, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's like because it got to a point where they just decided to start, they started taking it very safe. Yeah, I don't I, want to blame that directly on screen success, but then you kind of have to when you realize that they get so much capital just out of the team alone. So that it's a huge. I mean, the height of their ego. That's why it's interesting that they they still found a way to pass on um, on Preacher. But then, like it was weird. Like in the year two thousand, Storm Entertainment is like a UK company came into the picture, and they're like, "Yep." We want to do it. They still wanted Rachel Talalay to direct. Garth Ennis had revived. He had written like two or three drafts of uh, a film scripts based on the individual collected books, not just the issues, but the collected trade paperbacks. And by 2001, dude, it was greenlit. This thing was greenlit, and they had James Marsden penciled in to play Jesse, who was, uh, and once again, another... Who would have nailed it? Yeah. think so, too. I feel yeah. pretty confident that he would the other, um, the other hot rumor around this time, I think also they had, and I don't know if this was coming off of Kate and Leopold, but Hugh Jackman and Meg Ryan, which Hugh Jackman, yes, absolutely. I think he could nail. Ryan does so th- this is a case where we get to where AMZ is at now with it. Meg Ryan totally had the look of Tula from the comic. That was about it. 
the rest of it would be up for debate whether or not she could pull it off. You know, so that is what it is. But then, like, you know, it just languished in developmental hell. And, and again, because it was a combination of, once again, really securing the budget. And then when you have, of course, management that changes hands and all these companies, new ones come in. And they're like, what the hell is this? Preacher, no, get me something else. And they toss it. Right, because, like, they're, they're immediately thinking, how are we going to market? Exactly. Like, and that's what was neat, though, in 2006, because HBO was like, yep, let's do it. Let's get, um, and here's what's, this is what is simultaneously hilarious and cringing at the same time is that they brought in Howard Deutsch to direct a Mark Stephen Johnson written pilot. Oh. Now I, now I know you're a big fan of Daredevil and Ghost Rider like most people. Yeah. It's not, it's not even just Daredevil because he's responsible for Ghost Rider too. Mm-hmm. That's right. And like, so, but apparently like, um, Mark Stephen Johnson, like many, like many of um, many of these other uh, either directors or financiers or whatever, like was completely like he bought in like hook, line, and sinker. To he loved it so much that he became obsessed with only translating it, not adapting it. Even Garth Ennis was like, "Dude, some of this stuff doesn't work in the you know on television or in movies or whatnot. Like it just doesn't work. You have to change it." And he was reluctant. <laughs> right. It, so, um, but of course, like um, HBO ended up dropping it in 2008 now. And then like this is where this is the one that really got me. If this had happened, holy shit. 2008, though, it's dropped by HBO. And like it felt like only like a couple months later, Columbia Pictures picked it up. Now, Columbia was going to have Neil H. Moritz producing, who was real hot in the 2000s. He, he got a lot of those action properties, you know, going like Fast and Furious, Triple X. He's still attached. He is. He is on this, correct. They were going to get um, John August to write, who would, you know, uh, for pretty much every Tim Burton movie, it felt like in the more recent years, he's had a hand in the, the screenplay writing for it. But the real kicker, Sam Mendes, attached to direct. Oh, wow. yeah, that's right. Who, I mean, when when you look at the, the, the catalog of directors that are out there now, he hasn't missed. He's the one I could argue has not missed with any of his movies. He has nailed it. I, or not, and I, maybe, all right, nailed it on most of them. But even like his worst movies are still better than most people's best movie. So. Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, Sky. Look no further than Skyfall, and even the look of Spectre. Like there is something like this. His his look. I mean, to imagine that with Preacher would have been incredible. But uh, unfortunately, like it was again, just it faded off into the sunset. And then finally, in 2013, was when it got picked up by AMC. And and I'll admit, man, when they said Seth Rogen and, and Evan Goldberg, I was like, ooh, uh, really? Um, I get. Yeah, but- and you know what like what's what's crazy is like i didn't even think about pineapple express which pineapple express has a lot of the same qualities a preacher like its action scenes are uh, you know they're they they range from hilarious and and goofy and uh, to just downright like cringeworthy like there's some extremely violent things that happen in pineapple express but like it's done and it's done with such a sense of humor that like you really get into it and stuff like so 
I will admit though, like I was very skeptical and being like, it's, it's my favorite comic ever. I was like, man, this is, and I remember like not too long ago when the stills and some of the early footage was kind of leaking out and, or it wasn't leaking. I was being released out. I was like, this looks cheap. This thing looks cheap. looks underdone. I, I wasn't really convinced of Dominic Cooper, even though I liked him as an actor and we're going to dive into that next probably. But, um, what did you think? Like by the time now AMC's got it, we're, what were your thoughts going into the production phase of Preacher? I didn't really look into that much. Just knowing that AMC was involved, it's like, I'm kind of on the fence here because on the one hand, you've got Walking Dead, which has turned out a huge success for them. But at the same time, how much would they be willing to invest in pretty much anything else that's not the Walking Dead business. Yeah, I mean, hell, they it, they spun it. They 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 spun Walking Dead off into its it, it its own secondary show. So it seemed like they had a. And the thing is, though, like Preacher almost seemed like again, like it. And I ended up watching the pilot twice just so I could really fully, you know, just digest it and everything. And I was so blinded, and I was just so like early defensive on it that when I really sat back and released all that and thought about, it, I was like. Preacher is like that perfect kind of halfway. It's going to take some of the best elements of Breaking Bad in terms of you have this interesting cavalcade of characters that are going on you know, weird, dark journeys um, that are sometimes funny and sometimes terribly tragic. But then it's got it's it's got the it, it definitely has a lot of the action and the and the horror and like that type of element from Walking Dead. So it seems like they they found that that, that really nice medium between the two. Um, uh, we're gonna see. It's I think they have ordered. It's ten episodes, is what this season's gonna be. And now to kind of dive into the episode, like I think, like probably the best spot for us to jump into is looking at the big three, the triumvirate of characters, the core three of Jesse Custer, Tulip, and Cassidy. Like looking at those three, because I mean that without them there is no story, and it won't work without that that core. What'd you think of those three going through each of them? They were all really well and strongly introduced. Um, and I read an article about this earlier. Like the, the the interpretation of Jesse at this point is not exactly what you would expect if you read the comic. And some people might be put off by that, but I'm perfectly fine with it, specifically because of the fact that not only is this a different medium, but because it's a different medium, we're working at a completely different pace. And one of the key things that happens very early on in the comic is that we see how much Jesse, as the preacher for this town, just loathes these people. Yeah. All of their bullshit and their hypocrisy. Just like, you can't stand them. And he lets them have it. Like in the... Our, that has not... That has not... Right. Yeah, see, that's... That, my first impression of the show... And I should have, we should have probably just done that first, like with your first impression. Like, it's a very slow burn. Like, it's not like that first book comes out swinging. Um, When they, I mean, even the way they treat the, the, when Genesis goes into Jesse, like in the comic, it's, it nukes an entire church basically with everybody inside of it. It just gets wiped out instantly. In this, they kind of did an inverse of it. They had one guy, like it goes into you know one guy individually, and who vaporizes. They introduce it entirely differently by seeing it 
happened to somebody entirely separate from Jesse in a completely different part of the world. Yeah. And the the result of it is way smaller scale, but it still has the same impact. And, and this is one thing that's again, like when you look at something that does it in comics, you can easily write it off like in an explanation, like oh, Genesis needs to bond to somebody who has a strong will, uh, who has who's, who's extremely strong will to be able to control it. Now, in the TV show, what's cool is you see it go into these other people that, oh, wow, that's a really good preacher, that guy in Africa. Like, he seems to have a – he has a good a good rapport with his congregation and everything, but he doesn't really have the will. Now, that hasn't necessarily been explained yet, but that's what's fascinating. Again, with the guy in Russia and then, of course, the funny one being Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> Which happens entirely in the background and the nicest way possible. I know. It's a lip. <laughs> God, that made me pop. Here's the world that you're in right now. Um, I'll tell you, man. Cooper was an interesting pick because, again, like, you know, I, that was the one I was the most skeptical about. But there were certain things like his fight scene. It's that one moment where he smirks when they slow it down. Oh, my God. I was going to bring that up because that was the key thing that stood out about yeah. his character in that scene. And just about the entire episode is like for a minute there, you see – he really enjoys this. And it's right out of the panel. Like, that's something that is a beautiful, like, connection back to the comic. Now, I'm not going to say I am definitely not somebody watching this that's going to be like, well, you know, because it wasn't done like this in the comic, I can't like it. That's, that's, I mean, that's just not fun to me. Maybe some people can, you know, that's the way they, they rock it out, and that's totally fine. I just, it's so, I mean, we're just in a different age now. Like, I mean, you just, it, it, there's things that don't translate either medium to medium or 1995 to 2016. (laughs) 2016, So, I mean, um, I, um, the interesting thing is like, as we were talking about though, like in terms of a difference between the mediums was that I never, I never got from the comic that like, like in the comic, it just seemed like he hated this just period. And you see him go, he gets drunk and he, he throws out everybody's secrets in the bar and that's where the bar fight kind of happens and stuff like that. But in this, there seems to be not as much loathing of the people. He's more self-loathing than anything in this, in Anvil, which I mean, Anvil, I mean, the I mean, the, the, the wording on it is perfect. It is an anvil. It holds you down. Like, that's this type of town and everything. It's just, I mean, that's that's out there perfectly for you. But, I mean, didn't you kind of get that feeling? Like, they, they kind of reversed it where it's like, this guy doesn't hate this, so, you know? Like, how do, like the, 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 the attitude that he has towards people is almost like, like he's dejected. Like, the fact that he's even there is in and of itself defeat. So it's more along the lines of, I'm just trying to do the best I can by these people because I guess they deserve it if I don't. Now, if I'm right, like, and, and you know, I mean, spoilers are going to be spoilers. Like, I mean, if, I mean, at this point, the comic's been out for, you know, it finished its run 16 years ago. You can, you know, this stuff is not uh, hidden knowledge by any means. But if yeah, I'm I right, you can literally read the entire thing from start to finish. Yeah, you won't have to wait for a new issue. No, uh-uh. Um, if I'm right, if I remember, like in the show, they they're treating it like Jesse is doing this to pick up, or at least the way they're selling it right now. This could change. Is that Jesse is picking up where his father left off with this congregation? Whereas in the comic, like it's pretty much revealed that he is forced 
to be there. He is forced into this by what we learn in uh, book two, Until the End of the World, where we find out where he really comes from with his family, which is a the most saddening, heartbreaking story of a, a preacher, pretty much, is just where he comes from and everything. So that's something that's interesting. Only, like, lightly hinted at this point. Right. only given us, like, one flashback and, like, maybe... 15 seconds of that which they that they actually they went verbatim like that whole line they're um they're not enough good guys basically you know i'm not doing it justice but that that line is really good that they have that um to kind of switch gears like would you think cassidy has always been the the most fun character for people in the comics for the most part just because he is a I mean, quite it. It seems completely illogical. Then again, it's not when you look at the fact that we have the power of God within a man. But you have an Irish, a drunk Irish vampire that's floating around this as well. Um, how did you think yeah, he? How do you think he translated? The yeah. Hell out of, and I love that. Yeah. It's barely addressed that he's a vampire. It just it, it exists in this world and. Well, dude, remember in the comic, like, I don't think it's revealed. Issue one, it is not revealed to us that he is a vampire. Oh, no, not at all. We don't learn about it. He he has an odd look to him at best, but you don't need to notice it until that reveal happens. I don't think we learn, like, we, like, the difference is in the comic, like, we learn where Jesse, we learn about it when Jesse learns about it simultaneously, whereas this, we've already seen that this guy clearly is a vampire. Jesse, of course, hasn't learned it yet. That'll probably be in the in the future episodes here that are coming up. But I thought, like, would you? The plane scene is obviously the the one you're going to talk about because it's it, it to me is a perfect throwback to the comic because the intense drug usage, then the the incredible fight scene with it. What'd you think of that? Oh man, it's just like one, it's attention grabbing as hell. But even before that fight scene takes place. Thing that they land so well is just how dangerously charismatic Cassidy is. Yeah. Like, it's, it's hard to dislike that guy. And even if you went into the scene knowing the monster that is, it's like you still want him to come out of that unscathed. Like, you actually kind of hate these guys trying to attack him. And that's what's interesting is like, do we like, and, and I watched it twice and, and granted, like I always kind of my attention kind of skewed at doing something else always at the same time. But do they really explain what's going on on that plane? Do they give you? It seems like it was a trap to kill him. They don't necessarily spell it out, but it's kind of lightly hinted. Yeah, that Bible is the thing that was most striking. I was, because... One thing definitely in this in this adaptation that we've seen already is that there are characters showing up early on that don't show up until much later in the comic, but they're they're showing up early in the TV show yeah. with Odin Kincan, and obviously that was a big one that they that they threw out there immediately. But that's why I was my initial thought was like, oh, is this going to be the Grail? Like, is this somehow connected to the Grail only because? Um, the way that stuff is written in that Bible is almost in the way that the Grail is described. Like this is something that's so obsessive and compulsive throughout all of time, basically for um, since Jesus Christ and everything. So I I don't know. That was interesting, and that's that's kind of the one of the key takeaways of the show is you're given very veiled hints, sometimes a little bit more overt, some more subvert. But you know, there's. They're 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 really trying to slow burn and keep you locked in to want to come back like answer like I want to get the answer to that question or to that proposal they threw out there things like that like yeah like there were light hints at just about any and everything to come and it's like, 
they're all peppered throughout the entire episode in such a way where, like, even if you miss something, there's going to be that one thing that stands out that you need an explanation for what you're going to explain for. Obviously, because we're going to be shifting to Tulip here in a minute, and Tulip and Jesse is a very, is, is obviously, like, it's the core relationship that's the most important in, in Preacher, I'd say right up there, that's just as important. Maybe if it's one and one A, it's it's Jesse and Cassidy. Now, their scene in the bar is is critical because that's where they meet, and I'm pretty sure that's how they lock it. They they meet up in the in the in that first issue too. So they 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 yeah, went th- definitely. That is that's exactly what they meant. And. At- that first, I mean, that first conversation is so important. That first meeting. How do you think that came across? Did you buy into the fact that these guys, like, there's an immediate connection with them? Kinda. Like, I feel like it's it's another one of those slow burn scenarios where, it's like, they don't immediately hit it off, but at the same time, like, there's something of a mutual respect and, and, and camaraderie there, almost because, like, they're both outsiders to a certain degree. Yeah. What did you think? Like two, I I ended up. I think um, I popped the most for Tulip. I think I I thought she was um, she blew me away in that episode. Um, and that, that's uh, Ruth. Uh, like the, the scene with those kids is just so wonderful. Yeah, I think that that was the one. When I saw her, because she was on Shield, right? She was on Agents of Shield. I think first what, couple seasons. Something like that. Maybe give or take. What's her her name? That's is when it, I kind of stopped watching after a while. Is it Ruth uh, Naga? Is that her name? Yeah. Okay, I may not be pronouncing that right, but she. Um, when I saw her, I was like, okay, so they completely they went away from blonde, you know, the the blonde kind of typical looks like Southern girl type of thing. I guess that's how I heard a lot of people describe her, Tulip in the comic and everything, but. Um, she nailed like so many of the facial reactions she nailed perfectly and then like i think where she took it a step further really was it's that scene with the kids like that real just kind of it all of a sudden gets really down to earth in the midst of we're creating a homemade bazooka but we're having kind of a a nice moment here you know yeah like just genuinely connecting with these two kids that she just met and most oddly cool aunt kind of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was, I was really impressed with it, man. I, that was, um, that was something I really, I, I, I can't wait for because it, it, it felt so genuinely like at the core of the tulip character from the comic, and that's that's the most important. Like whether or not it's a, a translation or not, it's it doesn't stay true to the core. And I think I think that's where they have absolutely crushed it is with her so far. I think she's really really strong. Um, we got to see some of the famous, uh, uh, a couple of the famous side characters in this, uh, episode, and they happen to be father and son, the, <laughs> right. And his, and his, well, as we'll soon find out, uh, uh, strongly racist, strongly misogynistic, strongly every negative you could come up with, uh, Sheriff, uh, Hugo Root has. And it's interesting, like, the first interaction he has in this t- in this show is not as it, it's strange. Like it's opposite, sort of how we expect him. You know? Yeah, he doesn't really start out really as antagonistic. In fact, it's like Jesse's the one who's antagonistic first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, 
Like, he almost seems like a, a nice, well-meaning guy until you kind of get to know him. Yeah, he just saw he just saw you take like clearly we're drinking whiskey in a in a vehicle that has its engine ready to be turned on any moment, and he did not pay any attention to it whatsoever. So, yeah. um, what's interesting though is. He he's in a very like especially in book one he's extremely important because the whole thing that's going to come upon Jesse are the antagonists the antagonists that are in Anvil which they're going to be some that are internal and they're going to be some that are going to be descending very very quickly that we're going to see but so far because now granted I don't think I there's no way they're going to be able to repeat some of the language that Sheriff Rue uses in the book there's just no way I don't see them going that yeah, far they'll find some creative ways around maybe. Do you think, like, so far, like, because th- in the book, he's an amazing heel. Like, and then maybe it's the way he's drawn by Steve Dillon as well that really conveyed it. Do you think so far with what, they've, what they're what they doing with him that, like, you're, they're setting him up for you to be a strong heel? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, by the end of the episode, you get a pretty good feeling of, yeah, he, like, there's no real reason to like this guy. And the reasons to dislike him are going to that kitchen scene, I, if nothing else, I uh, should tell you on it. Just, oh, yeah, but then like, let's shift gears. Ars face is clearly like probably he might be the the most recognizable person from Preacher, just because it, well, his face Wait, looks how like do you not recognize. <laughs> <laughs> that facial, sure. Yeah, prosthetically, it they nailed it like a hundred percent. Like, yeah, like it, it, it translates so well. Yeah. That was. If there was anything that I was going to be a little bit worried about as far as production value is concerned, it was going to be that and how well, like, not just how it looked, how well the actor would be able to emote through it. Yeah. And it, 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 it's perfect. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, I thought, yeah, I really like, I, and what was interesting was, like, they did, they did him more justice with that scene with him and Jesse up in his room then I think we really got from him in the comic. Like in the comic, it was just sort of like, oh, look, like you have Sheriff Root in the foreground who's got his hand over his face like out of embarrassment, and his son is just being real nice and kind in the background, and that's really about it. And they just kind of loop that, it feels like, a couple times before things turn. But in this, like, holy smokes, like just the the conversation he has with Jesse, like you as the audience, like you totally are on board with this guy. You feel for him immediately, so... Yeah. It doesn't hurt that there's also that one scene in the closing where we had to see other kids picking on it. Yeah. Feel for him that much more. Yeah. I felt like the, the, the thing that really, if there's anything that shocked me, and let's, I mean, once the Jesse gets the Genesis and he has the word, his first usage of it, I mean, pretty, I, did you, um, <laughs> It didn't hit. I don't think it hit. It didn't hit me until the moment it was about to happen. I was like, "Oh right, he's that's he. It's going to be literal. Like it's going to be. He will literally do exactly what you say." So yeah, yeah. and like it's kind of like a living monkey's ball where it's like, like man, I just because my immediate thought in a lot of these scenarios, whenever there's an adaptation that I'm even remotely like familiar with, is that. Alice is going to read people who had no idea that was coming. Right. Yeah, totally. How, exactly. Like that, and that, that's the scene, like, and I'm glad they kind of ended on it because 
that that scene is one that you're you're kind of leading towards your close with is I mean that that sums up preacher that is what you're yeah I mean that guy literally flew down he he, he went straight to where his mom is in a in a retirement home and cut his heart out and gave it to her he opened his heart it's a, <laughs> I mean that wow yeah uh I, the thing though I think that shocked me even more than that though was and it goes back to what we were saying about Jesse, like when he says like he he won't quit being because he says, I'm done with this. Like when we finally see him get um, to the he he has um, the whole time he's 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 in this self-loathing phase. He doesn't have any faith himself. He doesn't think he can be a real preacher to these people. You know, he obviously has the fight like uh, with, uh, I guess, Donnie. Is that who that, isn't that the, is that the character they created? Donnie? Yeah. Yeah, that's the name they want. But, um, you know, even after that fight, it's like, you know, I don't like he says he's going to quit. And maybe that's what they found a way to really sum up. Like this guy has such a strong will and is so principled. That's like even though like his heart isn't in this, like he he made a commitment to it and he's going to follow through with it. And I found that fascinating. It didn't take me. It was really the second viewing that cemented that because I wasn't sure about it early on. I was like, geez, this just doesn't this. This is interesting. This It didn't sink in. But. What would yeah, you think I, of it? I think a lot of people were focused on the idea of him not leaving Apple yet. And that being the statement that was being made is like, no, it's, as you were saying, it's more than that. It's actually the definition of his character. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and so we had talked about like, um, they had hinted at Odin Kincannon already in the preview for the next episode. And just because like we... Um, when we mentioned Donnie, like, you know, it, Jesse goes to visit his wife because, and this is where the whole, the whole per- perception and perspective thing comes into play with Preacher is what you think may be going on may not be what's really going on or things of that nature. What did you think about them bringing yeah, in? And if there's any one thing that's got to stick with people, like going into this story, is that. Exactly, because I think if if the the final chapter plays out like it does, that is a big thing about perspective and everything, um, a yes. preacher. But um, because Odin Kincaid is a character that in the comic we don't see. I mean, he's not until Salvation that 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 trade paperback, which is like I think like six or seven books deep, like it's way down the line. Um, and preacher, but now with what's interesting, what, what Rogan and Goldberg and um, and I'm forgetting to say the guy from Breaking Bad, what they've done is fascinating. Is they brought him into Anvil to where it's like this guy may be the guy really running things in this town. Um, what did you think? Because like, what did you think about that? Because his character is pretty much modeled after Ross Perot, and has we'll see what they end up doing if they do what they do in the comic with it. If they do, that'll be ballsy, but. Feels like it's gonna be updated somehow. How they're gonna do it, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's I. I think that's fascinating because it seems like they're building this first season. Like I don't think we're gonna be getting out of Anvil this first season. It doesn't feel that way at all. No, like that feels like the type of thing that would happen at the end of the season, especially since, as you were saying earlier, they're they've what ten episodes. Yeah, it's a ten episode season so far. I think what season one is. That's at yeah, least so what IMDb is showing. Episodes, like, there, there's no halfway point that I can think of that you could actually develop enough for these characters to decide that they're going to leave. Not yet. 
Right. A lot of things are going to happen in Anvil, and then probably by season finale, yeah, they'll be making their way out. So what's the what's fascinating to look at are now the antagonistic forces because clearly, like even by the end of the episode, Donnie's in church. His arm, like that break that he does with his forearm, is fantastic. That's it's awesome. Um, but he's in there, like he's not going away anytime soon. I, I, I doubt that. And it could be wrong. I could be wrong on this, but he seems like he's probably going to have a score to even up with, with the preacher at some point. Um, Sheriff Root is still not really in his corner. Like there's some heat there. So you've got those two antagonists, but then we've got, and they did, I, I really liked what they did here because these two guys in the comics come across as bumbling idiots. Um, they don't give them the names here yet, but it's the Blanc and Fior, the two. Um, I, I, they're not angels. I forget what they are technically. They're guardians of the gray. Are they guardians in in heaven basically because they're guarding? They were supposed to be guarding Genesis, right? Right. I think it's fascinating how they did them this time because, in this again, this is something that I don't think would work to show them just up in heaven hanging out like, oh, what do we do like that. I don't think I would carry as much weight as who are these two guys that they keep changing their appearance. They pop up everywhere this thing has gone. And now we see them at the end. They're coming up on Jesse now where we leave the episode. Yeah, like that makes them way more fascinating. Yeah. Story, yeah. Whereas if you saw them up in heaven, that kind of demystifies the meeting. So um, just having them show up in Africa and then like, even if you missed any other point where they do show up, it just having them pop up at the end is like, Okay, what's going on here? This is obviously a much bigger deal than we know at this point. And how are these two connected? I know, like, and I, I think, I mean, I feel like we're pretty much in agreement. Like, you know, if you're introduced, when you introduce those two guys, you know that the, the, I mean, probably the coolest character is not far behind, and that's when they go wake up the Santa Killers. Yeah. And it's coming. Holy smokes. That feels like, if I'm, I'm going to speculate, it's. Probably gonna have to be at the end of the season. Yeah, because I know, like, because obviously in a comic, like, you can do body count like crazy. Like, you can just light up a ton of people and no big. De- and that's the thing: the body count in preacher is is unreal. Like it. Yeah, I, and I don't see them doing that with TV nah. in much the same way that they don't do that with Dead. Because like Kirkman came to the same realization when you're writing off characters in a comic book, that's whatever. Yeah. But if you write off a character in a TV series. You're ending an active paycheck. Yeah. So, yeah. Not I, to mention, there could be more that you could do with the character as opposed to immediately ending their life and then just send them off. The Saint of Killers, like, I mean, and, and we don't have, I mean, since he hasn't been introduced, it's no sense in going into him too deeply now, but that's, he is his important antagonist. And he's a weird kind of antagonist for Jesse throughout the entire story, but. That's that's going to be a real important part, and that's like I, I, I mean, just as important as even nailing Jesse is if if you don't nail Santa Killers down and make him like a real strong character, then you're going to be lacking significantly because his whole good lord his his whole reasoning behind what he does and what he will do is so strong and paramount to the story. It's almost as important as what Jesse's trying to do as well because they're very parallel. Yeah. Um, 
the the one thing we didn't really touch on. What do you think of the like the Tulip Jesse interaction? Because we know that they had a prior relationship. They 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 hundred percent hint at that and and come out with it in the show. How did you think that came across in this? Again, I can't say anything about it. And like to best like sing like to single out the the, the best thing about it. I, it's like it's, it's almost hard to do because. She's almost working as a simultaneous voice of reason and devil's advocate, and it's just—that's fascinating. It's yeah, so wonderfully played. Yeah, I think that I think that is—it's very accurate. She is doing a simultaneous kind of turn with it, and and again, it's just questions like, what is she? What is the big? Um, what's this big plan? This big thing she's trying to rope Jesse into? I mean, yeah, like, we have maybe, no idea. This it may not even be that important because like the whole reason she's there is really because he's there. So it may not be that important. It may not be that important why Cassie's calling in saying, Hey, you know, basically he's, it's almost like he's calling a handler to take care like, you know, make sure he's, he gets taken care of or whatever. Like almost like he's part of an organization or something. I'll be honest. I, I haven't touched upon that. I'm trying to reread everything now. So I can kind of have a, you know, even though it's a backstory that could be completely disavowed at this point because it, it's a TV show now, it could be completely different. But the 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 amount of questions left, and you know, being that you and I knew who those two guys were at the end and stuff, like even if you just take it without that, like it's like who are these guys showing up? Things of that nature. Like it was a good tone setter. This episode, it's it's all about and questions. That's the best thing I can say about yeah. this episode is that the tone set. With this series and store is pitch perfect. Yeah. They nailed so many things in so many ways. If, if, this, if this is your introduction, yes, this is the best possible way that it could have been introduced to. I um I you will want to read this. You will want to watch the show. Oh yeah, totally. Absolutely. I that's why like I'm 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 just I'm I know I'm very fascinated just thinking like, you know, what are what are people who've never read it thinking as well? Because I know on Twitter, I looked at some of the some of the tweets were like, "Oh wow, this Tulip character is awesome. Cassidy is great." And this, then there's some people like, "I don't know what the hell is going on. Like, I have no clue." And is is that a bad thing? Kind of intent that. Yeah, that's kind of what's so fascinating. That they absolutely mean for you to have as many questions like coming out of this episode. Dude, you know when that's the hook. When you adapt comics, like it seems like there is this, uh, there is a very fine line between doing an a hundred percent an origin story and then getting into the action, because I know a lot of people's um, uh, criticisms are that they're tired of origin stories where it's like we got to spend an hour doing you know we're doing we're doing character development some of it's good some of it's not as strong but it takes such a long time before. I, I'm just gonna the phrase I'll use is get them in the suit, get them in the suit to yeah, because that, that's essentially what it is. Like right. if you're talking about like Batman Begins, Iron Man, Captain America, right? First, the first Avenger specifically, like that's the case. The first two acts are all about the build up to the point where that character is finally in the suit. Yeah. It's it, and that's why though the the cool thing is when you see Jesse throw down in that bar, it's like you know what this guy can do. That should be enough for you to stick around because you know he has the potential to be able to do that. So I don't know. I I um 
in coming full circle with everything, I know when I first heard they were doing this, I, I was like, man, I was I was so skeptical, very skeptical, extremely skeptical. Even after the first viewing, I was like, okay, like I, I was thinking about things, like how things translated, you know, did this work in this type of medium? Like if, if try to turn on blinders to the comic and everything. And I, I really came around on that second viewing. I came back and rewatched. I was like, it's it it's a load of fun so far. It I like the the amount of questions it leaves are fun. You know it's it's laying down it it's shot very well too. Like when you just look at it, like it, it has a western look to it. It even had like yeah, you know a good. Kevin Goldberg and Seth Rogen did a really really good job in the direction. Yeah. As well as like because they had to oversee the editing as well. And one of my favorite cuts in the entire episode is after Cassidy jumps out of that plane and we cut to a ketchup splash. Oh, <laughs> very, very, yeah, that's a that's a small, brilliant thing that you can throw in there. So uh, my bottom line with this, man, is I'm, I'm, de- I'm so on board for um, these future episodes with it and, and I'm fully prepared. Like, it could very easily jump the shark, very easily. I know, it, I mean, pre- Pretty sure lends itself almost to it. It's almost like it's begging you to jump the shark because it does so many weird, wild, zany things. So, yeah, like that's always a risk and, and definitely a very strong one with, with this property. But um, I feel really confident about the possibility of them nailing this on every step of the way. Yeah, totally. I think so, man. And. It'll be interesting. Like, see, episode two, they from the preview they showed at the end. Like, um, you're seeing it's you're seeing more of Jesse. Like, obviously, trying to be stronger with the church and be stronger with this congregation. You get a lot of that. But they showed us Jack Earl Haley as Odin Kincannon, so that's going to be the interesting thing they throw in there. So, okay, can we talk about the casting for a second? Yeah. I think so. Oh, I totally. I think between with between Dominic Cooper, Ruth Naga, and um, um, definitely like we're getting teased with Jack Ural Haley, but you know with um, uh, with Joseph, I think it's Joseph Gilgun. I think is the one they cast as yeah, Cassidy. Yeah. He's good. I mean, he's 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 that's um that's that's what Cassidy needs to be is that type of dude. So I'm I'm totally on board with it. So I I agree with you, man. Like even. Even some of the small parts with people I don't know, I'm like, yeah, I buy that guy's arse face. He's perfect. Like he seems like he yeah. nails it. He's got a heart of gold. Yeah, that, that, that kid, yeah like, he's so genuine that I, you almost want to hug the kid immediately in that scene. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> really is that strong. But um, next week now, I think they're replaying episode one, so I don't think we'll record again next next week. But we'll be back and play once episode two hits and everything, and um, it'll be interesting. I know um, you can still like we encourage people to still send in their feedback about the show. We're on Twitter at New Blood Pod. We're on Facebook at New Blood Rising Podcast. I myself, I'm at William Rankin eighty three. Marcus, where are you at on the Twitter? I am at Shinigami underscore. 64. Spell that out just so people know. Yeah, because like, like less than 1% of Americans speak Japanese. Sorry. There you go. Um, <laughs> that is S-H-I-N-I-G-A-M-I. To be fair, and then underscore 64. Um, yeah. 
to be fair, I think Big E Langston, that is, that's his Twitter handle. Yeah, Shinigami E. Yeah, which is perfect. <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like that was a fairly recent change on his part. It was like, hey, is he? Because I got that from Gundam Wing back in high school. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we'll be catching you guys next time for um, episode two, or I guess it's technically episode one. This is episode zero, the pilot, I guess. Is that right? Yeah, in the house class right. friend? Right. So the next new episode will be not next week, but the week after. We'll be back then to talk more, uh, talk more preachers. So we'll be seeing you guys next time for Preacher Talk. Um, please send in also the email if you want to email us some of your thoughts on Preacher, uh, newbloodrisingpod at gmail.com. So um, uh, for Marcus Moore, I'm William Rinkin, and we will see you guys next time for Preacher Talk. Beside me, my only son.